This podcast is brought to you by Wikes Ferry Road Church. For more information, please visit WFRChurch.org. Well, we're glad everybody's here. If I can have your attention for a second. Bubba, good to see you. Glad you're here. Uh, right on. All right. She told me she got a lot of ground to cover. Need to hurry up. All right, so we're glad everybody's here today. Uh, look forward to the class today. Let's go ahead and have a prayer. Father, we just want to tell you that we love you so much, and I just thank you for all you do. Thank you for the ones that are here. Uh, thank you for Pam and uh, her studies and uh, that she's able to tell us and to teach us new things that we haven't really thought of or looked at in a, in a, in a different way and just ask you to bless her and uh, let your spirit work through her, Father. We love you so much. Thank you for Jesus, too. We pray, amen. Amen. Yep, I forgot to spread my my roots out. Anybody remember who these three roots are? <laughs> that was weak, but I'll take it. Let's try again. <laughs> who are these roots? Abraham, Isaac, and Isaac. That sounded good. I'll take that. <laughs> okay, week five. Can you believe it? We're doing great. I hope you're enjoying this, um, this series, The Feast of Israel. Probably it touched, this study touched me at a greater level, depth than anything I had studied in a long time. And I hope it blesses you too. What I want to see you do here, though, every week is take it home, take it home, take it home, right? Because it's really a crying shame if we come here and gobble up all this nutrition and leave it in this building. We've got to take it home. So that's my challenge to you. I attended the uh, children's Bible Hour Live. Is that what it was called last night? And um, I was sitting there just praising God in my heart that all of these little children um, are being lovely, lovingly planted by such awesome people who have a heart for children. They're like little tamarisk trees, aren't they? And maybe Lindy and her crew, Karen and all those who helped, in this endeavor, will never live, perhaps, to see the fruit and the shade that those little tamarisk trees are going to provide. But that's what faith does. Faith makes an investment in God's future. So that was cool, and I was thinking about that, and it touched my heart. I was glad to be there. I'm glad you're here today because we need to feast on God's Word. And some of us live such busy lives that we hit the door running and we don't eat any spiritual food all week. Not because we're wicked, evil people, but we're busy. And so the coming together to feast together on spiritual manna is really important. That's one reason that we need to be here and take advantage of, of the Sunday school and the Sunday hour in there in the assembly. Um, I'm not going to finish unleavened bread today Uh, i don't have time so if we have a chance to review i will finish this with you go online look it up you know feed yourself figure out what the second part of this feast is we will cover it if we have time in a review today we're going to do first fruits this is the poster that i made for first fruits it helps you get a picture in your mind Um, when the when the series is over you won't remember a whole lot of what i said but you will remember the posters and that will help you But uh, you're in for a nutritious treat today. I could spend four weeks on this feast alone. 
But I don't have the time to do that. You guys have lovingly given me 13 weeks and I have to stay on schedule. But there's a lot of things here today that I won't have a chance to cover. But I want you to remember that God did not arbitrarily just throw out seven feasts, just like he didn't arbitrarily throw out ten plagues, right? The ten plagues had a purpose. What was the purpose of each plague upon, upon the Egyptians? Anybody remember? Yes, yes, each plague took one of the gods of Egypt into a chokehold and didn't let go until Egypt tapped out, right? And so that's what's happening here with these seven feasts. They're not arbitrary feasts. They all have a purpose. And each one of the feasts lays out the redemptive program of Jesus Christ. Messiah had to be identified. You know, there were many people who came up and claimed to be Messiah. And so the Messiah had to be identified. And what is so awesome and so cool and so freaky weird is the people, the spiritual leaders who sought to destroy Jesus identified him. That's what I love about, about El Olam, the God of the big picture. Jesus was identified through these feasts. And that's how come on the day of Pentecost, we'll study that next week, that's why 3,000 people were baptized without a New Testament because they saw the gospel of Messiah in Leviticus 23. Isn't that awesome? That is so awesome. And I didn't know that stuff. So I guess, you know, I, I'm, just thr- I'm just thrilled. Okay. <sighs> i got to settle down. Okay. Kimmy, stand right here in front of everybody, please, and read your card. Okay. Do I need to get some of this? That would be awesome. You'd get some of that. I think I need to because it's healthy. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give to you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain that you harvest. He is to wave it before the Lord, so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it the day after the Sabbath. Day after what? Sabbath. What day is Sabbath? Sabbath. Uh-uh. Try that again. What day is the Sabbath? What? Seven! Who said it? Give Larry a hand. <laughs> Repeat after me. Sunday. Sunday. Monday. Monday. Tuesday. Tuesday. Wednesday. Wednesday. Thursday. Friday, Saturday, 7, 7. This feast is to be celebrated the day after the Sabbath. What day? Sunday. That was no significant day in the Jewish world. Just another ordinary day. Say it again. Sunday. 1,400 years before Jesus walked the dusty roads of, of Israel, God was laying out that Sunday would be a significant day. I want you to get that. So, so cool. The, the priests would literally come before the, the worshipers. These people would go, and what they would do is, as a family, they would collect the first fruits of their harvest. You guys ever plant green beans? Corn? The first picking is the best, the straightest, the strongest, the sweetest. And they were to collect the first of their fruits, whatever was harvested. And as a family, bring it to the priest. And I'm going to have my papa stand up with me today. And he is going to demonstrate to you what was happening on this feast of first fruits. Read that. Can you wave that and read that? Better catch it. Bless, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. 
who brings forth resurrection from the earth. We trust you, O Lord, for more of the same kind to come. It makes me want to weep. Give him a hand. Look, these people were harvesting the first of their... Who's got the green polka dot? The first of their what? First of barley. Barley. The first of their what? First of their pigs. The first of their what? What's next? What's next? Lemons. Very good. They're harvesting the, the first. And they were to be collected as a family and brought to the priest. And the priest would wave the sheep over the word. Wave. Can you imagine the beautiful picture of that priest waving a portion, a sheaf of the first fruits unto the Lord? Read it again, Dad. What did it say? Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth resurrection from the earth. We trust you, O Lord, for more to come. That's what, that's what first fruits is all about. More to come. Say it. More, more to come. And it's celebrated when? The day after, which is Sunday. Say it again. Sunday. One more time. Yes, 1,400 years before Jesus walked the earth. God, because he's Elohim, God of the big picture, was getting the minds of the people ready for some redemptive act to happen on what day? Sunday. Very good. Got to move quickly to to kind of lay a background to this because it means so much more if we can get our teeth in it. Okay. This is really important for you to kind of have in your mind because some of these stories we learned as children, we have forgotten if we haven't visited them in a while. But God's people were in bondage for 430 years. Say that. 430 years. That's a lot of years. And what I want you guys to understand, what I want you to connect with, is I have a question for you. How did God's people even get, um, even get to Egypt in the first place? Because if they're in bondage for 430 years, they got there somehow. So I want to explain it to you. Jacob, Jacob, I won't be talking about him, one of these roots of this beautiful tree. Um, Jacob was already settled in the promised land. And what happened is he, would re- he stubbornly refused to leave this land because God promised this land and a covenant oath to his grandfather Abraham. And he was not going to leave. But finally, finally something happened in the land that convinced him to move. And it was famine. Say that. Say it again. Do you realize how many times God uses famine in your life to get you where he wants you to be? I'm not even talking about, I'm not talking about actual famine, but a famine in your life. The land of Canaan, the land God promised to Abraham was withering. Canaan was withering due to famine. And Jacob at the time, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob does not want to leave. He's already lost one son. He's refusing to leave this place. He thinks that his son Joseph, remember Joseph? Joseph's coat of many colors. He's mourned the death of this boy, been dead 20 years. And now his sons are saying, Dad, we got to go get grain in Egypt. we got to go. And so these hellion boys, finally, finally, the ones that threw their brother in the pit, finally go to Egypt and buy grain. And there they discover Joseph, who's not dead. He's living, and he's the second in command of all of Egypt. Can you imagine? And there's a wonderful family reunion. And Joseph moves the whole clan 
from the withering Canaan to where? To Egypt. And he gives the clan, the Hebrews, the best little piece of geography in all of Egypt called the land of Goshen. Isn't that interesting? And so there they settle, and it's not too long before they become enslaved by wicked Pharaoh. And uh, for 430 years, the Pharaohs keep these people enslaved while God's building his nation. But in time, in time, God calls Moses to deliver them. And he delivers to the discouraged slaves four promises. What are they? One. Let's try that again. One. Two. Three. Four. That is so right. And they leave Canaan. They leave for Canaan. They leave Egypt for Canaan. But what's really cool about the promised land now, it's not, it's not withering and dry anymore. It's now resurrected and it's lush. We have red cards. Who has the red polka dot cards? God has resurrected this land now. What is it? One. Red polka dot. Anybody have that one? Lush. Repeat after me. Lush. It's, who has... Fr- no, it's red. I probably didn't pass them out. Well, just just repeat after me. They're flooding into the land of the land of Canaan now, and now it's lush, lush. it's fertile, fertile. it's rich. rich, and it's resurrected. resurrected. God's ragtag nation, those people who had a slave mentality, get to the border of the promised land, the land promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they, they have this slave mentality and they literally panic at the thought of going in and fighting the fortified city of Jericho. So they, they, they have no faith in a God that just delivered them from what? Slavery. Yes, slavery, Egyptian slavery. They had no faith. Why should they have trusted God to give them the victory? Why? Why should they have trusted that God could give them the victory? To take Jericho. They just witnessed. They just witnessed the mighty hand of God. But you know what? You and I are so much like that. God can deliver us from some terrible situation and let a little bit of time pass and we're on our face doubting His power in our lives again. See, whenever I teach these lessons, and I see the failure of these people, and I look at the crowd of those failures, I see myself in that crowd. I'm growing, and I'm learning, but we're so much like these people. And they didn't trust God to give them victory over Jericho. And God said, because you don't trust me after all I've done, you're going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. For 40 years they wandered in that dry, barren, dusty, and hospitable wilderness. I've been there for 30 years. I was in the wilderness for 30 years myself. Did I tell you guys that on my first or second week here? Anybody been in there longer than me? Anybody been in the wilderness 10 years? I don't mean you're in it now, but in your past, like, yeah, Pam, I was in the wilderness. Yeah. I know that wilderness. Forty years these people wandered around until God raised up a new generation that would trust Him. Let me tell you something. God is in no hurry. He is going to let you stay in your wilderness as long as it takes you 
to learn how to trust Him because He loves you that much. See, we don't tear our kids up half the time when they need torn up. Why? Because it hurts us. Or we don't, or we don't discipline them the way we should. But see, God loves us enough to let us hurt. Now, I didn't always like that about God. I didn't always like that about God. But He loved me enough that I could not manipulate Him. I could not change His mind because He saw something in me that He wanted to develop. And He sees something in you that He wants to develop. And that's why we praise Him for the wilderness blisters and all. Forty years. God did, listen, God did not abandon His people when they were in the wilderness for 40 years. People come to my office and cry. My kids aren't being faithful. And they think God's going to burn them to hell. I'm like, God does not abandon His people in the wilderness. He didn't abandon these and He won't abandon your children. Pray for those kids. Back up and let God do His work. Can you guys say amen? Amen. Hardest thing you'll ever do is trust God with the lives of your children. Okay, in the wilderness, God gave his people, I've got a green little card. Yes, what? Number two. He provided them water to drink. Three. Anybody have three? Say that again. Three. Did you guys realize their shoes never wore out? Forty years of wilderness. Four. Who has four? The clothes did not wear thin. Five. Very good. That's what he provided them in the wilderness. God did not abandon his children in the wilderness. And we as a people have got to stop being so puckered that every time our children are in their journey, we're on our face crying out to a God that we think is incapable of developing them. Stay out of his way. You're just postponing the walk out of the wilderness. Hardest thing you'll ever do. Okay, now, after 40 years of wandering, finally, God's people are ready to trust Him for the victory over Jericho. And I'm going to go over this as fast as I can. I wish I had more time. God's people were now coming into Jericho. That first generation, everyone over 20 of military age, is dead. Now, 40 years later, a new generation's been raised up. And the people are ready to trust God to lead them to the victory over Jericho, the gateway to the promised land. Jericho was, you got a blue polka dot card. Jericho was one. It's like this. One. Lush. Two. Three. Four. Five. We're going to say that again. Repeat after me. One. Lush. Two. Repeat. <laughs> Who has fertile? Say fertile. Repeat. Fertile. Who has three? Rich. Who has four? Well watered. Who has five? Strongly fortified. Very good. You know. You know. Uh, Jericho was a tough place. To, it's a tough place to have victory over. The gateway to the promised land. Everybody wanted to be in in Jericho, so it was very fortified. I want to tell you something. When God's people were ready to pour into this into this land and take and take Jericho, there was a problem. There was a barrier that they had to cross, and that was the Jordan River at flood stage. 
And so all these people are trusting God for the victory over Jericho and they come to this, they come to this problem, this obstacle. And God, who is almighty, Elohim, what God did was he split the Jordan at flood stage and a huge wall of water is built up on this side. And the water that was going downstream washed away and God's nation crossed the riverbed of Jordan on dry ground. Does that bring a... Uh, ring a bell for anybody in here? That sounds kind of, sort of, like God splitting the Red Sea 40 years earlier for a people who were ready to trust God, but did not. And all of the residents of Jericho were melting with fear because they remembered the power of the God of the Hebrew people. God says to Joshua, here's my battle plan. Get the army ready. Have seven priests carry seven trumpets and have four priests follow them carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the box that held the presence of the living God. And this is what you're going to do. You're going to have seven priests. What's that make you think of? The covenant. What does the covenant say? You are mine. And these seven priests are going to carry seven trumpets. And behind them are going to be four priests Carrying the Ark of the Covenant. What does four make you think of? I will bring you out. I will set you free. Very good. Seven priests, seven trumpets, followed by four priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant which houses the presence of the living God and all the army following behind. Can you just picture it in your mind? What a strange battle plan as all of the people of Jericho stood on that massive wall and peered down with their, with their archers ready, their commanders ready, and they watched these strange people, seven priests with seven trumpets leading the way, with a, four priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant and an army behind them. Jericho was tightly locked up, no one in, no one out. And all these people on the walled city of Jericho are watching, watching, watching. It was no Lael shimmering, for it was in the morning time, and they're petrified. Let me tell you something. It was a strange day for these guys in Jericho. For God's army didn't whisper a word. Just the, just the, um, the sound of the priests blowing short, the short little blasts on the shofar, short little blasts, the twisted shofar to make the people think we must break our will to follow our king. And they were watching as these people marched around the city. Silence, an eerie silence, listening to the short blasts of these shofar trumpets. And what happened? Who has day one? When she says day one, you guys repeat it. Day one, God's band of bizarre warriors march around Jericho one time. Day two, they do it all again, the same lineup, seven priests, seven trumpets, the Ark of the Covenant, God's army, not a whisper, not a word, just the sound of marching. Day three, all exactly the same, marching around the city, the archers on the wall confused, what's going on? Day four, 
They do it again. No change. It's driving them crazy. I mean, what kind of, what kind of strategy is this? Day five. Again, they march around Jericho the same lineup. Day six, the same thing. Seven priests, seven trumpets. Ark of the Covenant carried by four priests and the armies of the living God. But let me tell you something. Day seven came. Listen to the sevens. Day seven came. Seven priests with seven trumpets, followed by four priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And they march around Jericho, repeat after me, one time, time. two times, times. three times, times. four times, five times, times. six times, times. seven times. And when they finished the seventh round, I'm going to blow the horn. And you're going to shout as loud as you can. And if you shout poorly, we'll do it again. Because I want these lights to rattle. Now, I'm good at blowing this shofar unless I'm nervous. So if I don't do good, give me a chance. I'll get it. Okay? Our story, kids. This is our story. 
Jericho was left as a first fruits offering to God who would provide them more. What did they do as they flooded into Canaan now? The gateway to the promised land has been conquered. They're flooding into the promised land. Who has the green fluorescent card? Number one. They drank water from wells they did not Number two. They ate grapes from vineyards they did not plant. Number three. Absolutely, God says this land is exceedingly fertile, given to you by the power of God Almighty. And I want you to acknowledge that I gave this land of fertility to you. I want you to acknowledge that. So after Passover, which is the first full moon of spring, during the week of unleavened bread that lasts for seven days, the very next Sunday that follows Passover is the Feast of First Fruits. And on that day, you bring to me the best of your harvest. That's what's going on here. He says, for I am the God of resurrection. And I am the God that gives you enough to make it through your life. Remember this dry, barren, and hospitable land of Canaan, when Jacob left, is now resurrected by my power, God says. And I'm giving it to you. Do not forget who has given this to you. But let me tell you what happened. And this is what happens a lot of time in our lives. They left, they left poverty, really. And they entered into a new chapter of prosperity. And that's a whole other ballgame, isn't it? And they entered into the land of Canaan and God told them, Hear me now. When you get to Canaan, rid the land of the uncircumcised Baal worshippers. And do not forget my covenant. Repeat after me. Remove the Baal worshippers. And do not forget my covenant. And they didn't either. And so what I want you to see, what I want you to see for the next few minutes is in time and not a whole lot of it. God's ragtag Hebrews who are now experiencing prosperity by his hand began listening to another voice. And that other voice were the people in the culture who worshipped a hideous Canaanite god named Baal. Say that. Baal. Baal. Say it again. Baal. Baal. And I want to just spend a minute explaining to you how they viewed their world, how they viewed prosperity. We know now God has shown His people He's the God of resurrection and He's the God of first fruits and that's to be, He's to be honored on the first Sunday following Passover. But they flooded into this culture, this place, and they did not rid the land of the Canaanite Baal worshippers. And the people there believed that prosperity and fertility and resurrection of the land came from Baal. They believed that in the winter Baal would go to the under-earth the center of the earth, and with him, Baal would take prosperity. The leaves would turn dry and fall. The crops would dry up, and the people would panic. And they wanted Baal to come up from the underworth and bring prosperity and resurrection of the dead ground and the dead, and the dead wheat. And so what they would do is they knew they had to get Baal to come out of the earth and have a sexual union with his counterpart, Ashtoreth. And so the priest of Baal would would build what's called a high place. It's like an ancient stage. And they would mound dirt up in the huge stage and, 
and pack it flat like, a, like an ancient stage. And they would erect a huge statue of Baal. And they would chant and chant for Baal to come up, come up and have a sexual union with Asherah. And so the priest of Baal would choose a priestess. And there on the stage in front of the chanting worshipers would engage in broad daylight and a sexual union before the worshipers. I think of it every time I watch Miley Cyrus on stage. I really probably shouldn't. But have you guys seen her? Her gyrating and the way she acts, it's like that's the spirit of Baal. I mean, it's the truth. And the priest and the priestess in front of the worshipers would engage in a sexual union chanting for Baal to come from the center of the earth and bring resurrection of the crops and prosperity. And then the priest would say to the women, to the worshipers, to the men, find a temple prostitute. And before Baal, they would enter into sexual unions in broad daylight. Can you believe that? That's what they believed would bring prosperity to the land. And in time, this huge statue was huge and in his back was an empty cavity and they would throw wood in this back of this statue and light this fire until this huge bale statue was roaring red, blistering hot. And at first, we know that the bale worshippers offered animal sacrifices on these arms. But in time, in time, and I think it was probably because so many of the temple prostitutes were getting pregnant through this through this chanting for Baal to come to life. In time, hear me, these people took their infants and laid them on the hot, blistering hands of this sacrifice. Can you hear the infant screaming over the dancing and the chanting and the fornication? Can you hear the screaming as these babies are being burnt alive and the blood is popping and people are chanting, Baal, Baal, Baal. And even God's King Ahaz got wrapped up in this. Second Kings 2 tells us that Ahaz, king of Judah, sacrificed his son in the fire, and he offered sacrifices, burnt incense at the high place, on the hilltops, and on every, under every spreading tree, guys. That was God's king. Because he, what he was doing is holding on to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and seeking favors from the false gods of the culture. And he was trying to blend two opposing forms of worship. And we do it every day, and it's killing us in America. I want you guys to understand it's killing us, and it's killing our testimony, and it's killing our families. Can I hear an amen? Amen. This is what God was trying to keep his people from. God says, I bring prosperity. I bring bounty. I bring prosperity. I bring resurrection. I am El Shaddai. Say that. I am El Shaddai. The God who brings life out of deadness and calls things that are not as though they were. I'm the God of resurrection. I'm the God of fertility. I'm the God of sustenance. I'm the God of bounty. I'm the breasted God that attracts and comforts and holds and feeds. It's God. It's God. And they heard another voice. And you do too. And I do too. That's why we got to celebrate these feasts. Because, you know, it's really great to celebrate the feasts that we do. But these are God's feasts. 
And they have so much meaning. Look, it's God. It's God who has the pink sheet that I handed out. Say it was passion. It's not, not it's not Baal. Two. It's not your it's, repeat, please. It's not your government. Three. Not your military. Not your military. Four. Not your insurance policy. Not your insurance policy. Five. Not your boyfriend or husband. Six. Not your girlfriend or wife. Seven. Not your pills. Eight. Not your food. Nine. Not your alcohol. Ten. Not your fat bank account. Eleven. Not your political party. Twelve. Let me tell you, gods of your culture, let me tell you guys something. It's L.O. Lamb. It's everlasting to everlasting. The God of the big picture. It's Elohim. God who's awesome and mighty in creation. Who swore a covenant. What's a covenant? I am yours and you are mine. He swore a covenant with himself. Why with himself? They would never stop his work. Never stop his labor until all things are restored and made whole. Please hear me now. Jesus Christ, crucified on Passover. Say it. Crucified on Passover. Buried on unleavened bread. Buried on unleavened bread. And was resurrected on first fruits. Do you guys understand that 1,400 years, 1,400 years before Jesus walked the earth, the gospel of Jesus Christ was proclaimed in the dusty Old Testament. Give Him a praise. Shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. I kept, one, I kept thinking, I hope Keith Powell's here. Because I get to see all of his beautiful paintings and carvings of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 3,000 people came to the realization on that day of Pentecost that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah because of the feasts. Oh, don't you guys see how awesome that is? So awesome. So God says on this first fruits feast, it's a time to acknowledge that God is the giver of resurrection. Ed and I have in our yard an apple tree, a pear tree, a cherry tree, and six walnut trees. And every winter they just look as dead as dead can be. We don't have all the evergreens like you do. I mean, they just look as dead as dead can be. But let me tell you something. In the spring, they come to life. Who brings that resurrection? God brings that resurrection. How is it possible? Because God is the God who brings life out of deadness and calls things that are not as though they were. Jesus Christ, the first fruits from among the dead, promising more to come, kids. Who's the more to come? You and me. Because we're, our bodies are going to be resurrected. Our dead bodies are going to be resurrected out of that earth. Because we are the more to come. I just love it. I wish I had time to keep developing this for you. I want to read something first. We see that... Oh, what's my time? We see that, um, that Je- we can believe Jesus was resurrected. But what I want you guys to pause for a minute is Jesus, Jesus did many things. He walked on water. What else did Jesus do in those stories? What else? He walked on water. He raised the dead. What else? Water to wine. What else? He healed. Look, we're like, yay, Jesus resurrected from the dead on first fruits. But let me tell you what's even more awesome than that 
is that you and me, broken and screwed up and fractured and torn, we're going to be resurrected too. Because we're the more to come. And He wants us to honor Him with our first fruits. Now, we aren't farmers, most of us in here. How do we honor God with our first fruits? What's one simple? Absolutely. By bringing our first and our best to Him. And now next time you write that check, you're going to be thinking of the Feast of First Fruits. And you're going to be saying, Lord, it's hard to write this check. I've got a mortgage due and I've got insurance due, but I'm trusting you for what I need. That's the story of First Fruits. Give God a hand. Give Him a hand. Before I end here, I am going to take this minute. Of all of the feasts that the Christian church celebrates, the Christian church does celebrate first fruits. We call it Easter. Yay, Easter! Right? <laughs> and I got to thinking after I studied this. I mean, I'm just wondering why we call it Easter instead of first fruits. So I looked it up. You're going to find this kind of shocking. Happy Easter. Isn't that beautiful? Easter is a Babylonian fertility goddess. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm not saying you're evil for saying Happy Easter. Remember that pork roast I brought the second week? I mean, we call it Easter because Mom and Dad did. It's their fault. <laughs> but they called it Easter because their parents did. And they called it Easter because their parents did. But I'm, I'm telling you, Easter is a Babylonian fertility goddess and the symbols of her fertility are rabbits and eggs. I have to ask. Do you think maybe it just bruises God's heart a little that His church calls first fruits Resurrection Sunday after a Babylonian fertility goddess? Took me about two months to get over that. (laughs) I just don't want you to start being radical about it like I was for a couple of months. (laughs) Can you imagine that I could be radical? So sorry I tore that. I teach my little children, and we, they, they, they know this in children's church. And uh, every time we sing a song about Easter, now we call it First Fruits Easter. And there's people in my church that just think I'm, you know, a little off because I, I don't want to call it Easter. I can't do it. I just can't call the resurrection of my Lord after a Babylonian fertility goddess. So I teach the children, let's call it First Fruits Easter until people learn. Because how do people learn? Repetition. And slow. <laughs> we learn so slow, don't we? So just, you learned something this week. The, the third feast that celebrates the resurrection of your Messiah, the first fruits of more to come. We should call it by what it is, First Fruits our Resurrection Sunday, and be gentle and kind. You didn't know it last week. And start trying to make a slow shift. I'm not saying you have to get rid of it totally. I'm not saying anything. You're full-grown adults. I'm not your mother. (laughs) Do what you want to do. But I felt like you should at least know. Go from this place and shine for your King Jesus. Jesus. And let it begin at home. home. Get out of here. I'll see you next week. been a presentation by Whitesbury Road Church. For more information, please visit wfrchurch.org.